You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Like so much of mountain biking, the nomenclature can be blurry. There are huge regional differences with how we use certain terms. Even if we simply focus on English-speaking countries and regions, there's variations in how we use the most basic of word, trails. On the West Coast, a trail usually refers to a segment, more often than not a downhill or mostly downhill piece of single track. But as you travel east and leave the mountains, the word trail will sometimes refer to a grouping or network of trail segments. A riding area will be defined as a single trail. And if you skip the pond and go to the UK, and England specifically, and look at their sanctioned ride centers, they'll use the word trail to define a route or a collection of segments. Another example of terms that are used interchangeably is the key foundation of this podcast and who you, the listener, represents. We often use the term bike club and trail association to define the same thing. Now, there are certainly bike clubs that don't do any trail maintenance, and there's many trail associations that don't organize any rides or race events. But for the most part, we not only maintain the trails, but help others have fun and enjoy them through social events or races. And some communities, like the one we'll look at today, has both a bike club and a trail association. And in this example, they both do trail maintenance. Now, I think that as long as the needs of your community are met, then it doesn't matter what your organization identify as or how many organizations it takes to serve your community. And to repeat, the most important thing is that the needs of your community are met. Now, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 57 of Frontlines. My guest is Daniel Kamiad. He's the executive director of the Nature Trail Society, located in and around Victoria and the southern Vancouver Island of British Columbia. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Brett. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, how long has the, the Nature Trail Society been around for? Uh, we've been around since 2015 as, as a formal society. Um, I certainly have been doing a lot of advocacy work before that personally, but, uh, but the society has existed for about four years now. Yeah, and, and so there's also the, the South Island Mountain Bike Society, and, and they serve the same region of, of the, the Southern Vancouver Island. And they've been around for a little bit longer than the Nature Trail Society, and you've actually sat on their board as well, correct? That's right, yeah. The South Island Mountain Bike Society has been around since, uh, well, I guess for 25 years about, and, uh, and I've been part of the society for almost all of those 25 years, um, sat on the board and uh, uh, served as president for three years. And the, the Nature Trail Society is a, is a multi-user 
organization. You're made up of, of hikers and equestrians and, and mountain bikers as, as well. You know, is there, is there value, uh, in having kind of a, a multi-user group as opposed to this, this mountain bike club? You know, I kind of, I, I see it kind of potentially from two perspectives is, you know, are, are the other user types, you know, being underserved by only having a, a mountain bike club or mountain bike focused trail association? Or was it a case that having this, multi-user organization, you know, it's a group that's, that's made up of, of multiple needs. And so is that just more powerful when you're speaking with, with land managers? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the two different groups are partnered and, and complement each other very well. Having a, um, a dedicated mountain bike, uh, organization is important because there are people that, that identify, uh, with that and, and really feel strongly that they're a mountain biker and they want to belong to that community. So it's great, uh, to have it for that reason, as well as the, the awesome work that they do at the Heartland Mount Work Park that they, that pretty much was the reason that the society, um, evolved in the first place was to steward that park. And so, so it's great having, uh, the mountain bike society to do that. One of the things that I learned being part of the society was that here in Victoria, anyways, there were a lot of doors that were getting closed in our face as a result of having mountain bike as part of our our title. For whatever reason, there's still some, uh, I guess, uh, negative perceptions around the mountain bike community and the you know the impact that they're having on the environment. Um, so that was one of the reasons I know that, uh, when I was with, uh, when I was president, we discussed actually changing the name to remove mountain bike. Uh, we didn't, but it came up for discussion just because of that reason, because it was, it was really making it difficult for us to get access and to get funding, um, and support. So that's one of the reasons for, uh, the different societies in, in that aspect. Um, another really important, um, reason is that, um, the, We'll just we'll just say the mountain bikes the South Island Mountain Bike Society, they're in a way doing themselves a disservice uh, by just saying that they're building mountain bike trails when in a fact in 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 reality they're building shared use trails. The the Heartland Mountain Bike Park is shared use. It is used by equestrians. It's used by trail runners. It's used by hikers, dog walkers, and and uh, quite amicably. Um, the people that I've talked to there on horseback or walking their dogs are, are very happy to share the trails. So when advocating and talking to land managers, uh, when you can speak for a much larger percentage of the community rather than just one, what they might view as a niche group, it, it weighs a lot heavier. And and in, in reality, that is what we're doing. We're building trails for the community, not just for one user group. Do you think there's there's value in in a bike club rebranding into a, a trail association or a trail organization? I don't think so. Just for the the reasons I mentioned before, I, I think it's important to have a bike club. You know, whether it just be a general bike club or a mountain bike club, you know, because there's people that really want to identify that way and really connect with that community, um, and that's important. I don't think there's ever a one size fits all. You can't solve all problems with with sort of one entity. So having a, a mountain bike organization and having a, a, a trail organization, it's very complementary. We work together to serve, you know, sometimes what might be perceived as two different communities and mm. what could be perceived also as just the same community. Let's dig into the the landscape uh, that is the the area around Victoria, and you know how would you describe uh, the community that is Victoria, British Columbia, and, and the surrounding communities uh, around it. 
Oh, boy. Um, we're very fortunate. It's a beautiful area. As, as, um, it's a little bit uh, unique. You know, I mean, maybe not then coastal riding, but um, the, the trail systems that we have here uh, tend to be very undulating, hilly, rocky, um, and what would be a lot of the times termed as, as technical, difficult terrain um, to build trail in, to travel on trails. So in a way, we're, we're, we're lucky. Uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of diversity and, uh, you know, so many different things that we can do uh, around here, whether it be on the, the ocean or in the forests or the cultural, uh, you know, opportunities that we have, uh, you know, in the city. So it's, it's, you know, in my point of view, it's utopia, but, um, but that's just me. Some of the some of the other aspects that come into play that that make us perhaps a little bit unique is our is our land management. We on the southern Vancouver Island had all of our crown or almost sorry almost all of our crown land basically given away to private forest companies in uh, in a deal that's uh, termed the ENN land grant. It was a loophole that allowed all of our crown land to be sold off for pennies to the big American forest companies. And so as a result of that, we don't have as much forested areas that we can access like the rest of the province does um, because there's actually gates on those properties and they're privately owned. It doesn't mean that people don't go into those areas. It just means that it's um, much, well, it's almost, well, I shouldn't say impossible, but it's much more difficult to get authorized access from a private company that mostly is interested in financial return than it is to uh, to get access on crown land, uh, much easier process. So that's one of the one of the aspects that kind of sets us a little bit apart. Another another factor in that is that uh, the Capital Regional District, or as uh, is known here, the CRD, they have set aside a large area of land, twenty thousand five hundred and fifty hectares, as the uh, water district. So they say that this is a, a catchment area for the, the drinking supply waters, and uh, it's gated off. There's no public access to that area. It pretty much cuts right across the north side of between Duke and Victoria and cuts our access off to Shawnigan Lake, which is uh, an area just north of us. So that combined with also uh, BC Parks, the two big parks in our area, Goldstream and the Gowan Todd, which together total about 1,757 hectares, currently do not uh, allow mountain biking in them. So a lot of the land, a lot of our forested areas are, are not actually accessible. Uh, the CRD, I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, the CRD owns 13,000 hectares of parkland. And uh, as of yet, they don't even have a mountain bike policy and have severely restricted off-road riding in the CRD parks, the Capital Regional District parks. So just as a big picture, that's that's some of the the challenges that we're dealing with just on a basic access level for trails. I kind of want to come back to, um, you know, that you, you kind of mentioned there's there's that that essentially a blockage within the within the network where, where it's not connected because of that watershed. But <laughs> there so just to, to kind of clarify a couple of things, there's the, the Capital Regional District, the CRD, they they're the land manager for the Heartland Mountain Bike Park, correct? What the, the South Island uh, Mountain Bike Society manages. Yes, that's correct. And and that place is a little bit unique, right? It's it's not necessarily kind of 
pristine wilderness in, in the way that we think of pristine wilderness. It was formerly a, a dump. Is that is that correct? It is. Well, it actually is still a dump, um, oh. and that's that's what we refer to it as. Uh, you know, right now. <laughs> and sometimes people from out of town kind of look at us out of the side of their eyes. It's strange, <laughs> but uh, but it is. We park in the dump parking lot, and uh, you know we cross over the the road. Uh, waiting for big dump trucks to you know to go by into the, the dump itself so so yeah the, the area that that we termed the dump or the i guess officially it's called the mount Burke heartland regional park was given from the landfill i think they're called environmental services uh, division of the capital regional district to the um, parks department in the crd and when that happened there was actually an employee at crd Parks, who was sympathetic. He was a, a mountain biker and he helped the process of creating a society that could steward the areas and start building and maintaining trails in that area, which became the South Island Mountain Bike Society. So it was a, it was a, I, I'm, I'm almost sure that if uh, this fellow hadn't worked at CRD and hadn't helped to, you know, sort of broker things through, um, we probably wouldn't have that riding area. Interesting. I mean, it's uh, it's not um, super common, but there's certainly other mountain bike trail uh, areas that that are on dumps. My the hometown that I grew up in, in Kitchener, Ontario, that's actually where my local trails, where I really first started to, to mountain bike, were all on land that was that was claimed from from the dump. And uh, in fact, actually, the s- different area, but but same town, the ski hill as well was on a former dump. I don't know how one town created so much garbage, but it was, uh, you know, my two main recreation areas were on top of dumps. And I do know there's some places uh, across the United States. It's a great use of kind of what would be considered unusable land. Now, it's interesting that that you you say like this bike society was kind of created out of this and 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 yet it, there's there's still this challenge kind of working with the CRD and and kind of going into other areas and and so it, and it sounds like that's not just with mountain biking like is there what what challenges are there from the perspective of somebody who's just trying to hike in some of the other forests that's around the community there are a lot of trails in the area and this is one of the things that the nature trail society is working to fix is we have a tremendous amount of trails but the majority of them by far the majority majority of them are rogue unsustainably built um, not authorized not mapped not signed not promoted and so unless you're somebody who either knows somebody who knows them or you're one of those people that just, you know, has lived here for most of their lives and has found them or connected through other people or, or you you don't mind taking a GPS and going out and exploring and, and finding your way, you basically have no access to those trails. And that it, it is, uh, it's hard for me to describe just how much I'm talking about. I have people that come into Victoria as tourists or who have moved here as, as new residents that say, yeah, we got the impression there really wasn't any hiking in the area hmm. because there's no there's no there's no maps, there's no literature, there's no authorized. I, I say no, there are some, but you know, in comparison to the area and the, the population and the demand, there almost is effectively none. So Victoria is a huge tourism 
community like it, that i've i've certainly been there as a as a tourist before um the cruise ships are going right into into downtown victoria it's uh the provincial capital so you know it's got legislative buildings it's um it's a it absolutely you know if i can just speak to my personal opinion it's it's a gorgeous town i absolutely love that that downtown core and that old kind of victoria center it's 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 just amazing down there great great walking parks as well but i don't necessarily see victoria as this this mountain bike tourism destination i think that kind of speaks to that that perception that there aren't trails there uh, you know i also have this this and and perhaps incorrect but this perception that you know it's it's a little bit of an older community compared to you know neighboring vancouver on the other side of of uh of the georgia strait and you know is is it a situation where the city of victoria is is supportive of trails in the sense that like they it would draw people to live there and it would it would help with that but they're not necessarily the ones managing the land that the trails are on it's it's you know i mean we're really left to to make our own uh, guess as to the reasons but um uh, the perception that it's an older community, uh, I'm not sure that that's uh, accurate. There certainly are a lot of retirees that, that move to Victoria and the area. But I, you know, and I don't have the actual hard data on this, but in my impression, percentage wise, I, I think there's probably just as many uh, retired people that move into the Vancouver area. They're both beautiful communities that, that offer a lot of recreation and, you know, and, and the amenities that they're looking for. So I, I don't think it's necessarily the, the older community that might be holding things back, I think. And again, I'm just left to guess. Part of the challenge is, is that I think we have so many different opportunities in our area, you know, uh, kayaking, uh, kite surfing, uh, hiking, uh, skiing. Like there's just so many things that you could potentially be doing that it takes that attention away from any one of those activities. Whereas perhaps there's other communities, I don't know, let, let's say, well, actually maybe Cumberland's a bad example because there's a ton of other things to do around there too. But, um, you know, maybe some other kind of communities where there isn't as many um, cultural resources or, or they're not next to the ocean or where that type of recreation, be it mountain biking or, or trail running, is, is more of the only option or, or, or some of the only options available. So I think that's one of the things that kind of makes it difficult for Victoria to be, say, like you mentioned, a, a mountain bike destination. And, you know, the last challenge or, well, the last point I'll make around challenges there is that, again, I, I honestly don't know. I'm left to guess. But there seems to be something going on in the capital regional district that is very anti-mountain bike. It has been a struggle ever since that Heartland Park was was built it's it really for the for a long time it was treated like you've got your place to ride now be quiet stop asking for more and again I, I don't really know why or where that that um, perception or, or attitude is coming from but it is definitely there and uh, we've been working very hard to try to uh, try to break through that so I, I think it's 
There's certainly some other groups out there that that have uh, they find themselves in, in similar situations. I know where I live on the North Shore of Vancouver, we've got a number of different land managers, and some of them are great to work with, and some of them uh, aren't, and some of them sometimes are great to work with, and then other times they aren't, and and it just kind of seems to be this ebb and flow. You know, like a trail association, land managers have turnover as well. You know, staff changes, and and if when you're in the case of a of an elected. Uh, land manager like a municipality then you've you've got turnover constantly every every four years during an election cycle you've got the potential for an entirely new council uh, where do you where do you start when when you've kind of are, are trying to approach a land manager that just doesn't really seem uh, interested it just doesn't seem like they support mountain biking you know the the nature trail society started in, in 2015 and kind of what was what was the what was the first thing you did well, so I'm going to go back a little bit to some of the statements. I mean, there's there there are the polit there's the turnover of the politicians as part of the the land managers, but there's actually the CRD staff that doesn't turn over as quickly. That they're they're hired in and they stay for the long term. And often the politicians will defer to the staff for that reason that they've been doing it. They're the, the experts and they've got the the knowledge. So so there's there should be a lot more consistency at least with like the CRD in that aspect. And then the, the, a little bit of the second part of your your question. Um, you know, what, what do you do if a land manager is just, you know, sort of unwilling uh, and, and perhaps being unreasonable, you know, specifically if it's a public land manager, is, um, is you, you connect with the community, right? I mean, and it's a community resource. That's really the people who own that land is, is us. And so if enough of us uh, stand up and say, you know what, we don't think you're managing that land properly and here's why, here's the proof then it makes it a lot harder for those land managers just to turn a blind eye and say, yeah, I'm not talking to you. So, and then for the, to, the, the sort of last bit of the question, um, back in 2015, what did we do? Well, we, you know, and again, uh, we're, we're trying to address the challenges that, that we have in our area. And I, and I do agree that there are some similar challenges in some of the other areas, but, but um, the Nature Trail Society really came in and um, uh, specifically tried to cater itself to dealing with, I think, some of the unique challenges that we have, or maybe semi-unique challenges that we have. So um, one of the things that we did right off the bat is um, we wanted to establish a good track record. We wanted to show that, you know what, we have the skills and ability to design, build, and maintain environmentally sustainable trails that provide adequate access for the community to recreate amicably and responsibly. And, you know, because until you really have that proof in the pudding, um, you know, you're just talking as far as, as, as a land manager is concerned, right? You can say whatever you want. So so we did. We went in and, and we, we made agreements with private property owners to build trails. We made connections through the community um, and uh, were able to work with uh, one of the one of the other big land managers in our area and probably most is our municipalities. We have 13 municipalities in Victoria, which is poses an unlimited amount of challenges. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the municipalities is Langford, and we were able to, um, it took years, but we were able to put together an agreement with Langford to build trails on their parkland. So that was that was kind of the first step, was, was really you know being able to show that, that we can back up our claims 
And at the same time, we reached out to the community, started partnering with similar organizations to say, you know what, we're not just speaking for ourselves. We're speaking for a larger portion of the community. That's not just a, a niche group. This is, this is, you know, these are the residents. Because I think that's one of the things, I don't know if, if it's a common problem in other areas, but I know it's a problem here. We all have our little groups and we all stay in our little groups and we're all fighting similar, you know, challenges. It's much more successful if you can if you can band together and work against those challenges as a larger group and and as a larger voice. It's much harder for them to ignore that. Yeah, it reminds me of of something a past guest uh, said to me, which was, you know, go go where you're wanted, right? Like it's you know, sure, there's there's potential opportunity for a great flow trail here or, or a great technical trail here, right? But if if the land manager doesn't want you there, then, then, you know, how much, how much time and how many resources can you waste on trying to change their mind, you know, and go where you're wanted. And, and, you know, hopefully that, that change, uh, gets seen by, by those land managers that were potentially initially, uh, not into it. I think, you know, a great example that, that I've seen is BC parks, uh, like the capital regional district, you know, is not, they don't have mountain biking in their, their, uh, in their usage, it's not something, you know, when they had their, when they created their parks plans, it was, I believe 1975 was the last time that it was really updated as far as usage types. And so mm. mountain biking <laughs> is not in there because <laughs> it was not around. And so, you know, they've kind of just said no mountain biking and, and we, you know, that's been it. And there's no, no other real mention of, of mountain biking, but we're actually seeing some provincial parks in British Columbia that are, are starting to change. And, and a lot of that change came from, you know, there's an area out in Kelowna and we've on the podcast, we've spoken to, to Jay Darby, who was the former president of, of MTB co mountain bikers of the central Okanagan out there. And, and BC parks kind of got put on top of a piece of land that was already being used for recreation mountain biking. And so they were kind of forced to suddenly be a land manager for mountain bikers. And then they kind of developed this relationship. And I think that was a, a great way for them to kind of see like, oh, maybe this isn't uh, something that we should just be be saying no to. And, uh, and we're seeing it right now in, on the North shore and in, in my community where we've actually got a, a new trail or a, a trails being rebuilt on BC parks land. It's been a great experience working with them. And I, so I think we're, we're starting to see that shift a little bit, but it takes time. I mean, it's like <laughs> a lot of time, you know, we're talking about decades for that to kind of happen. Right. Is that just, is it just a case of like, we, we need to go where we, we can go and we just kind of wait for that change to slowly take hold and, and we just have to be patient? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> no. And the reason I say that is that, um, you know, most organizations, maybe most people don't really do stuff that's difficult for them unless there's a reason. And mm. BC Parks is no different. So until there's an actual problem, they're not going to put any resources into solving it. Um, and what I've been told by many park staff is that, um, like you said, the management plans were written before mountain bikes existed, and they only have management plans for a percentage of the parks that they currently own. They're desperately working on writing management plans for the other ones, and they only have two staff for the whole province that actually work on management plans. So they're so busy working on creating management plans that the that the likelihood of them reopening an existing management plan and making changes to it 
without there being a really good reason to, it's just not going to happen. And so it, it kind of boils down a little bit to, to resources and allocating the funds to the BC Park staff to, to um, make the changes that are necessary, not just sort of sit back and wait for it to happen because it's not going to. So I, I think it's important for us to keep moving forward and to keep, you know, our voice in front of them, I guess, it, to say, you know what, this is part of, of being a responsible land manager is providing adequate opportunities for your community. And, you know, if, if unfortunately, if you don't, the community goes in there and gets their opportunities on their own. And it ends up being a much more environmentally damaging situation than if the land manager goes in and properly provides those opportunities. This might be a, a question that, that should be saved for a, a totally separate uh, conversation rather than the, the end of, of this conversation, but it kind of sounds like there's this, uh, there's a systemic problem with, with public spaces in the sense that they're underfunded and, and that maybe what needs to kind of be done is, is much higher level, you know, and, and I think to a group like Evergreen in Washington state that they go to the state Capitol and, and they speak to their uh, elected officials, um, you know, th thinking about lobbying, you know, even, you know, in the United States, like a group like uh, the Sustainable Trails Coalition or IMBA actually going into Washington, D.C. And, and kind of lobbying from that much, much higher level. Is that something that, you know, and, and you've got the unique situation where in Victoria, that is the, the, the provincial capital, like, is there value in, in trying to go to higher level elected officials and, and kind of asking them what they can do or, or perhaps convincing them to, to allocate some more funding to those land managers? Absolutely. I think that that's, you know, it's, it's never as simple as one solution or one, one thing. I think there's, there's many things that we need to do, but I definitely think that that is one of them. We've, we've got to, we really have to approach this from, from all levels. So the down, down on the grassroots level, you know, at the, at the staff level, at the, at the municipal government level and, and all the way up to, to, you know, even up to federal, because it's, you know, it's, it's how these changes are made. And if we, if we can band together as a province, then um, it's, we, we have that much louder voice for them. It's, it's harder for them to kind of brush, brush that aside. Um, and it forces them to, uh, to do the work that's needed here. I mean, I, you gotta, you know, it's just like any of us, I suppose there's so much work on, on everybody's desk that uh, unless, unless you have to do it, it, it probably just gets pushed to the side to make way for something that is, that is screaming at you. So until we start screaming at them, <laughs> we're continue to be pushed aside. Yeah, well, that's great. How can, how can people have a look at, uh, at the Nature Trail Society and, and kind of stay in touch? So, I mean, we have a website and a Facebook page. It's uh, naturetrailssociety.com. So there's an S at the end of trails and an S at the start of society. And uh, the Facebook page is Facebook slash Nature Trail Society. There's maps that show our vision. There's a lot of information about the board and, and what we're doing and why. The Facebook page has got uh, reams and reams of photos of our trail building um adventures and uh you know different events that we've had and um, that sort of stuff so it's 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 a great way to find out more about the society there's opportunities there for people who want to volunteer or to donate and help the society out 
know, or even be part of our board and, and help us to, you know, to sort of make some of these changes. So yeah, thanks, Brent. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for taking the time to, to chat with me. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. It's been great. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can send me an email or audio file to info at FrontlinesMTB.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, along with a link to the Frontline's MTB Book Club, where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. This is the time of the year when a lot of the podcast bills become due. Storing audio online is not free, and financially the podcast has slipped back into the red. So if you're a fan of the show and you listen on a regular basis, consider chipping in a couple bucks. It helps me keep this project alive. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And big thanks to Ben Walnuck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.